0: This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast.
1: Hello, everybody. My name's Alex Caton. I'm a legal director at Charles Russell Speechlease. And I'm uh, here today with Louise Patterson, who's an associate. And we both work in the private clients, landed estate and heritage team, working principally with clients who have interests in that sort of area. And as well as international clients, we predominantly work With UK clients. We're talking today about the effects possibly of and the implications of COVID 19 for estate planning. And in that light, we perhaps might recap that often sort of standard estate planning might consist of effectively ensuring that the client has a good up to date will where there's a spouse where you've always got the spouse exemption from inheritance tax you have complete capital gains tax rebasing on death and for many clients with assets in this sort of area lands and interests in land and businesses based on, on land or involving land and heritage assets you often have uh, agricultural property relief and or business property relief which are generous reliefs uh, particularly business property relief and so often you might well advise a client that as long as they have identified an heir they might leave they're often under current rules happy to leave things as they are uh, taking advantage of the current tax regime however the COVID-19 is perhaps making people reconsider estate planning and what they plan and I know on the heritage side uh, Louise there has been some recent changes on the condition exemption regime I think
0: Yes, that's right. So as you know, conditional exemption is a tax relief available to taxpayers who own art, cultural objects, land or buildings of national significance. And it's a generous one. It postpones the inheritance tax or capital gains tax due on the transfer of the property indefinitely. As long as the taxpayer meets a number of undertakings, sort of promises to HMRC, these are the conditions. The most common undertaking is to allow public access to the object or the building or land of national importance. If a condition is breached, the postponed tax falls due. So in March, when the lockdown restrictions were introduced and there were enforced closures of non-essential public spaces and visitor attractions, understandably, taxpayers relying on the conditional exemption, who were not going to be able to meet their obligations to allow public access, were concerned. And as I said, the consequences of breaching undertakings in the conditional exemption regime includes tax falling payable immediately. But on the 29th of April, HMRC published guidance to say that if the conditional exemption undertakings were being breached directly as a result of COVID 19 lockdown restrictions, that wouldn't be considered a breach causing a tax liability to fall payable now. So at the moment, I think taxpayers who make use of the conditional exemption are to an extent relieved by this update. HMRC has also said, though, that they're going to keep the situation under review, and it's possible that you'll be obliged to open your buildings or allow public access later in the year. To make up for lost time. But I think it's also worth saying that this HMRC guidance doesn't completely relieve taxpayers making use of conditional exemption from concerns surrounding COVID nineteen. For example, many stately homes which rely on revenue from visitors to meet high costs of maintenance and preservation are going to be feeling the pinch. And often conditionally exempt items are retained in taxpayers' homes, with public access granted at certain times. So I think it would be understandable if taxpayers were wary as lockdown restrictions are eased. About allowing large numbers of the public back into their homes in order to meet their undertakings?
1: So it's interesting to see the impact that the COVID-19 is actually having on people and their businesses, which as you say, is, is actually really quite substantial for many clients in this area, I think. And one thing I've noted is that on the on the side, I principally deal with the, the landed estates and, and rural clients. Definitely a move towards thinking about lifetime planning. And I think effect that Covid's had on that is is I think people are becoming increasingly aware that this pandemic is costing the treasury an enormous amount of money and that this is going to have to be paid for somehow and I think that on top of what might be a sort of almost mood music on the subject of capital taxation I'm thinking of the Office of Tax Simplification reports and the all-party parliamentary report on the future of inheritance tax i think it's making people have real th- pause for thought as to whether actually the sensible thing to do is bring forward the planning that i was discussing outlined earlier and and get on with lifetime uh gifts obvious areas that are you know possibly un- under scrutiny would be i mean agricultural property relief is an obvious area that i think the, the treasury would not have much difficulty spinning a, a, a good campaign for getting rid of that one. And business property relief is very generous. Maybe tightening that one up or making it less generous. And the complete capital gains tax rebasing on death, particularly where there's a, a relief like AP, agricultural property relief or business property relief, or even indeed the spouse exemption. And I think they may they may you know think of, of, of that one. Looking at that, so a lifetime gift may make some sense in that situation if you're not going to get a rebasing, which is often one of the principal drivers for waiting until death. I think also the for business property relief, the wholly or mainly current rule, so in other words, that the, the business has to be wholly or mainly a trading rather than investment business, which means essentially over 50% trading, which means effectively up to 50% or 49% investment. I think that's quite likely that that's going to get pushed up to 80% the substantial substantially trading rule to align inheritance tax with capital gains tax and i think again revenue the treasury wouldn't have much difficulty in justifying that or or at least saying that's what they want to do and i think that particularly in light of the famous balfour case or business property relief on landed estates is causing people real thought for pause for thought and also i think touching on a, something I think you mentioned there, Louise, the, the insured life insurance market. I mean, often people purchase life insurance as a well, obviously an insurance against the inheritance tax on death. And I think that an impact of COVID-19 is, is that market, I think, will tighten up. From what I understand, there already has been some movement on that. And um, I think that is going to come through further down the line. So I think the, uh, the particularly states where, there, where the situation isn't Perhaps as clear-cut as it might be, if you've got an estate where you're essentially entirely farming and you're farming in hand, I think well, what one might be more relaxed about things. But where you've got, as is quite common, an estate with a large number of let residential properties, or in particular furnished holiday lets, then I think there is some thought, some real something to be said for accelerating one's planning. And of course, there I'm thinking of the, of the, the sort of real dislike of the. Uh, HMRC seem to have for furnished holiday lets, don't they? I mean, there's been all these. There's been a number of cases on on this, including one recently, Louise. I think where they put it through.
0: Yes, Alex. This is a case from 2018. The executors of Mrs. Graham and HMRC. So HMRC's very strict starting point is that owning properties is an investment business, not a trading business. And in this case, the executors of Mrs. Graham managed something quite unusual and unlikely because the tribunal ended up finding that the furnished holiday lets in Mrs Graham's estate did qualify for business property relief, so this was being run as a trading business. If you look into the details of that case, though, they were really very unusual, in the sense that Mrs Graham had been very busily carrying on a trade in operating the furnished holiday lets. This included serving meals to her guests, she ran an informal taxi service for them, one time she collected guests who'd found themselves lost out hiking, so I don't think we can use the case of Mrs Graham's estate as a rule of thumb, but more the exception that proves the rule when it comes to holiday lets.
1: Yeah, so I think with the Graham case, it, it seems to be that uh, you effectively need to have be running the writs in order to get furnished <laughs> holiday lets it's, it's through business property relief. And I think anything short of the writs is um, pretty much not going to do it. And of course, that was something that was referred to, in the, 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 particularly the all party report on inheritance tax, that the possibly a bit of a feeling that revenue might be being unnecessarily harsh on this. Uh, I think one can understand that the revenue don't, HMRC don't want to encourage people to invest on a holiday let as a, a sort of exempt asset class. And it won't do anything for the property market, of course. But I think where you have got a, a stable a suite of holiday lets, and you are running it pretty much as a full-time business the family might be involved in, as a number of our clients are, I think it's quite harsh that they don't get business property relief at the moment. But of course, something that's often forgotten uh, with furnished holiday lets is that although they don't currently qualify for inheritance tax, business property relief more or less, they do qualify for that for the purposes of capital gains tax holdover elections. And I think that's particularly relevant particularly interesting where you've got clients looking at doing lifetime gifts because of course the big problem with lifetime gifts is you do crystallize a capital gains tax charge and unless you're pushing assets into a trust or unless you have assets that qualify for agricultural business property relief from inheritance tax you can't hold over the, the gains so you have to pay the capital gains but a, a, a nuance is that for, for capital gains tax holdover purposes furnished holiday lets do qualify as a business undertaking a trade which is useful because if you've got an estate and i can think of a couple we're actually acting on where they're thinking of moving down assets uh, moving down estates by lifetime gifts where you have such a holiday finished holiday let business you can now do that with we're able to hold over the capital gains and although you've got the usual problem of course of lifetime gifts of you need to survive seven years in order for the gift to be fall out to fall out of account for inheritance tax purposes under the current rules. This ability to hold over is tremendously helpful. And again, the I think the seven year rule, the, the potentially exempt transfer rule, is something that people are a bit nervous might get scrapped or might get amended. And so I think if you if you're looking to, to make a move of an estate, I think this is actually quite a good time to consider doing it before they, t- they start tinkering with anything. I think the next budget is likely to be quite keenly watched for clients in this area. And, of course, with lifetime gifts, you do run the seven-year risk, so if you, fail, if you die within that period, then gifts are clawed back for inheritance tax purposes only. And you can, of course, insure against that, and I mentioned earlier the hardening market, again, might be something to be said for getting on with that. And if you're looking at a seven-year term policy or policies that last for seven years, and even if they become a little more expensive in light of COVID-19, then you're only dealing with a seven-year period of having to pay the premium. Whereas if you're looking at whole of life insurance and, frankly, just waiting until someone dies, that can be quite an expensive option, particularly in a hardening market. Of course, one thing that everybody does need to consider when doing lifetime planning is, you know, you do need to identify who your heirs are going to be single or, or more. Um and again, I think this COVID nineteen pandemic is is focusing minds a bit on for people who are are thinking of moving assets down sooner or later. It's actually, you know, who is going to be taking over the estate or who's going to be taking over the business. And in that light, I think we always advise Darry Louise that you have to be careful of the reservation of benefit for an inheritance tax. But that can be managed carefully, I think, as long as as people don't try to be too clever about things. And genuinely make gifts get on with it and of course we always advise clients not to do a king lear and hand everything over and find themselves high and dry later in life without enough assets to maintain their way of life quality of life they want because one of the requirements of making gifts under the IHT rules is that it has to be an outright gift and a genuine gift and it doesn't can't really sort of have it back i think lifetime planning is becoming interest more to clients than it might have been until recently um, and that's driven by the reports on inheritance tax and the impact of COVID-19 but of course for some clients in possibly the lucky situation they have assets that are sort of national or heritage interest and there are a set of re- reliefs there specifically for that aren't there Louise
0: Yeah, that's right. So as well as conditional exemption, which we discussed already, there's also the acceptance in lieu scheme and the cultural gifts scheme. And as you say, these also apply to cultural objects of national importance, whether that importance be artistic, cultural, architectural, scientific, there's a very broad range of objects which might qualify. For example, in 2019, objects accepted under these two schemes included your classic paintings and drawings by old masters. But there were also a pair of Chippendale tables, a collection of historical medical implements and the collections of letters of two 20th century MPs. So I think it's worth bearing in mind that the variety of objects which might qualify, and as you say, also the option to claim these reliefs during lifetime. Acceptance in lieu is a relief from inheritance tax if a work of national importance is accepted by a UK public institution. And in this case, the way that the tax relief is calculated, it's worth a bit more to the taxpayers' estate than it would have been if the object had been sold on the open market and the inheritance tax paid in the normal way out of the proceeds. So it's certainly worth considering. Is that the famous douceur? Exactly, the douceur. So 25% of the inheritance tax due on the object is refunded to the taxpayers estate if it's accepted on the basis of the acceptance in lieu scheme. So overall, the object is worth something like 17% more to the estate if it's gifted to a public institution under the scheme, rather than being sold on the open market. But I think at the same time, it's important to bear in mind that acceptance in lieu does not have an unlimited budget. The budget for 2019 was 40 million pounds in tax forgone. So in fact, competition to qualify can be quite fierce. The other option for lifetime gifts of works of art or historical objects, but not including land and buildings, which don't qualify for this one, is the cultural gifts scheme. This provides reliefs from income tax, capital gains tax or corporation tax, but it's not as generous as acceptance in lieu, and it's also included in that same £40 million budget I mentioned. For the cultural gifts scheme, I think fundamentally a taxpayer needs to have some philanthropic motivation. Because an individual will only receive 30% of the object's value as a tax credit, and a company would only receive 20%. I do think, though, that for individuals or companies which are intending to make a gift anyway, or which are anticipating an impending tax liability, for example, an individual might be contemplating selling a second home, which would trigger a CGT charge, the cultural gift scheme could be a good way to combine that intended gift with some kind of tax benefit in return. Some taxpayers, I think, also like to think of making gifts under these schemes to create a sort of legacy that they can see realised during their lifetimes. The last thing that I would say is that even if one doesn't qualify under the competitive acceptance in lieu or cultural gift schemes, there always remains the option of a straightforward gift to charity, which most public museums and galleries in the UK are such gifts to charity would be tax exempt and they don't need to fall into the specific categories of outstandingly important objects which qualify for the tax relief schemes
1: yeah so there's some quite good reliefs available again which do encourage i think considering for like considering uh, lifetime gifting particularly that point that you can uh, get some tax relief on a to offset against a, dis, a cover against tax disposal on another asset and i suppose also perhaps an interesting point that given the probable squeeze on public finances going forward uh, there might be something to be said for trying to take advantage of one of these reliefs one of the, the part of the offering new relief for example considering it sooner rather than later if the budgets are going to be squeezed well i hope that discussion has been of interest to you i think uh, lifetime planning is going to become more important going forward the regime has off as to a certain extent tended to certainly make lifetime uh, lifetime planning more complicated and more preferable for uh, leaving matters until death but with the changes that i think will be coming in or are afoot or the general mood music as i said earlier lifetime planning lifetime gifting is possibly becoming more in in fashion um, and of course we would be very happy to advise or anybody on, on this area The details uh, of both Louise and myself are on the Charles Russell Speechly website, as well as the other services that the private client team here uh, provide. And I'd just like to thank you uh, for listening to this.
0: This is a Charles Russell Speechly's podcast.